You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So a couple things to clear up real quick. Number one, big thank you to everybody that reached out in terms of helping out with this show. I mentioned I only really wanted maybe one person, but uh, how can I say no? I, I can't. I'm, I'm bad at it. But I will say that uh, we have more than enough help right now, and we're good with what we've got so far. So we'll just leave it at what it is. But um, we're going to run through um, just a lot of different stuff. That's kind of the result of uh, cutting loose, let's see, as far as people with notes, I think maybe six guys. Doesn't sound like a lot, but they've got thoughts and opinions. And then I've got my own personal notes, and then there's questions that I was asked on Twitter and whatnot. And we're going to try to make this a, uh, a rapid fire day to see what we can, how much of this stuff we can get through. But I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that reached out. Really do appreciate it. Secondly, um, I mentioned how if you join in on my Patreon, what we would be doing is a giveaway, which would likely be a t-shirt. Now, the plan was one of two things, and now I'm kind of nervous about both. One was a Tiger, the- uh, Tiger King-themed Packers shirt. But, I mean, with every day that passes, that's kind of becoming less interesting. So I don't know if that's still a thing. Or... A t-shirt based on the draft class, which everybody now hates. So I, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should pick a winner and let them decide or put it to a vote. I, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, it feels wrong to not do a Jordan Love-themed t-shirt. He's a brand new quarterback. He's our first-round pick, and his last name is Love. There's got to be some cool stuff to do with that. Beyond that, and I will say, I, I'm really appreciating how much people are coming around to at least a couple of these prospects. And if you're not coming around yet, spend as much time as you can. Yesterday what I did, and I wish I'd have thought of this before because I would have announced it on the podcast, but it just dawned on me that it was a thing because I'm still just learning how these Facebook pages work. Part of the reason I'm making a push on the page is because you can do a lot more stuff with a page than a group, unfortunately. I wish I could do this stuff with the group because that's where all the people are, but I can't. One of the things I can do is upload a video and make a premiere out of it, which at first I thought was dumb, but here's how that works. I upload the video, I set a time at which it it uploads, but rather than just being a video that people can watch individually, we can all watch it together. So I was like, well, that's kind of cool. We can all watch highlights of these guys together. Well, there's five or six people in there at its peak. But I will say, the more people watch some of these guys, the more they appreciate them. Especially A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara. And I think Jordan Love, uh, to some extent, although... I don't know if some people will ever come around to that because, I mean, he's not going to play this year. But it is now to the point where I actually had several objections to the fact that I said it would be a split backfield and that um, I don't expect A.J. Dillon to rise to the level of Aaron Jones, at least in the first year. And suddenly there was a wave of critiques of Aaron Jones and whatnot, and there was confusion, no doubt, on my part. But also excitement, because people are rallying around A.J. Dillon, and I love it. I'm excited about it. Yeah, let's, let's, let's get jacked up about this draft class. If that means we got to run over Aaron Jones, 
it's not exactly the way I'd want to go about it, but let's just do it, man. Just just take that Mack truck and just start plowing over the rest of the team, man. Yeah, forget Sternberger. We got DeGuara. Mercedes, what is he, 50? Get out of my face. DeGuara's the man. Aaron Jones, he doesn't even know how to run a ball, probably. I don't know. I don't Whatever. The point is, I'm just I'm excited. People are getting excited. But anyways, if you have any thoughts, otherwise... If you'd like to be involved in those sweepstakes, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy to help support the show. Otherwise, make sure you're in the Packernet group, the Packernet Facebook page, etc., etc. Anyways, let's take a break, and uh, we'll do some rapid fire here. I got a little bit of a late start. It's kind of hard to get back into the swing of bed early, up early, when you're staying up late doing all this draft stuff. So, got to bed late, overslept. You know the, the story, so whatever. Point is... We gotta kind of hurry here. So I should probably stop talking about how we need to hurry because that's wasting time. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're gonna get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So I want to start off with a little bit of news that um, is pretty sad news. One of the greatest um, contributors to the Green Bay Packers of all time is uh, getting divorced. Of course, I'm talking about Jay Cutler, fourth best Packers quarterback of all time. Before you think I'm being flippant about very serious and sad news, I'm being legitimately serious. I've grown to appreciate Jay Cutler over the years. I mean, it's amazing to me that he is simultaneously one of the best Bears quarterbacks of all time and one of the best Packers quarterbacks of all time, having never even played for the Packers. His personality is one that I feel like if I was going to be friends with any quarterback throughout history, it would probably be Jay Cutler. Never really watched his TV show, but I've had people literally reach out and be like, this guy reminds me of you. And I've seen the way that he is not very engaged, which maybe has something to do with the news, but we won't go there. And it's like, yeah, man, I can, re- I can relate to that. So I don't know. Maybe, what is he, 36? Maybe now he's going to get that fire in his belly. The Bears are still looking for a quarterback. I mean, it maybe it's the offseason. I've already said it's in the offseason we're allowed to dream. That's the rule. You're not allowed to crush my dreams in the offseason, so don't even start with me. I mean, legitimately, if he came back today, what is he? You think he's not the second-best quarterback in Chicago? 
I think there's a battle between him and Foles. He probably loses, but also Foles only makes it about four weeks before he gets hurt anyways. They're going to push in Trubisky because they don't want to look dumb. But hey, by week 13, we might get we might get to see him again. Let me dream. Don't be a dream crusher. Don't, don't, don't even try to crush my spirit. Some other somewhat interesting news. Uh, the Chicago Bears signed Ladarius Mack. Yes, that is Khalil Mack's brother. Now, on one hand, you could look at this and say, well, the guy's got to be a genetic freak like his brother. Uh, the only thing I could think is that this guy's not a legitimate NFL player. However, you sacrificed your entire team for Khalil Mack. Your entire team. Your entire team's future, your salary cap, your ability to re-sign guys, to bring in new guys in free agency, to draft players in the first round for several years. This, to me, is throwing Khalil Mack a bone. That's all it is. Which kind of makes sense, I guess. I don't. Let, let me put it this way. I don't know if I wouldn't have done it. Right? Like, I, I need Khalil Mack to be at his absolute best. Like, dude, all right, I'll tell you what. How about I bring in your brother? Now, this could absolutely backfire if these guys are, um, I'll use a dad phrase, knuckleheads, right? You know, sometimes you get brothers together and they start getting kind of crazy. Now, whether that crazy is illegal activity or just staying up late eating Cheetos and playing video games, I don't know. But the point is, ideally, this is going to make Khalil Mack happy and help him to be focused, right? You get that big brother thing, like, I'm going to show you how to be a real pro. Little brother's like, dude, I'll show you how to be a pro. You don't tell me what to do. And then you get a little competition. Either way, it's it's dumb. And it doesn't help. And it's one of those things Bears fans are going to get excited about because what else What else do they have to be excited about? Because, look, at the end of the day, Packer fans are mad. I'm going to go to work, and I work with uh, a Vikings fan and a Lions fan, and I guarantee you at the very least the Lions fan is going to be rubbing it in my face. Because what he forgets is he's he's a fan of the team called the Detroit Lions, and I'm a fan of the Packers. And, and although he won this little battle of who gets to be the most excited about their draft class, not me, because we got a quarterback who's going to sit, and then a running back, and then a tight end that nobody liked until the Packers took him, and now Packer fans are trying to like him, and then a bunch of offensive linemen who aren't going to play, and then some seventh-round guys that aren't going to play, also a linebacker who probably isn't going to play. But the point is, I still get to watch the Packers win, and he gets to watch the Lions lose. So that's, that's kind of the trade-off. So I let him have his moment. Right, people within the division get to kick and scream and yell about how much greater they're going to be. And we'll do more in-depth stuff on that later. But, I mean, really, if you're a Bears fan, let's just, I just, real quick, real quick, I'm just curious. Because I, I honestly, I haven't even really looked yet. Like, I know the Broncos just killed it because they got two guys that I really liked, including my favorite. But the Bears, who didn't have a first-round pick, what did they do? They got Cole Komet, which is funny. It's partially funny because I remember last year... Everybody in the division got a tight end, with the exception of the Bears, who didn't pick until very late and then got a running back. So then they kind of got caught up this year with Cole Komet. I wasn't scared of any of the tight ends that these guys picked up. Um, We'll see what they do in their second year, but in the first year, none of them were big impact guys. Definitely not scared of Cole Komet. They got Jalen Johnson, which is funny because, and I don't know if too many people disagreed with me, but I've been saying this cornerback group not really going to work out. And so, again, it's it's a situation where it's not like you're taking a good group and making it great, right? If you look at the Lions, for example, they've already got a couple corners that are pretty good. And then they added Jeff Okuda. So it's one of those things where it's like, ooh, yeah, that's that could be a problem for the Packers. This is the Chicago Bears who 
two years ago had a really good cornerback group because of Vic Fangio and his system and all that stuff. Then they changed systems, and everybody kind of fell off because these guys can't play in that system. And then they lose Prince of Mukamura, and their number one corner is just kind of garbage because he cannot play press man coverage, which is what is asked of him at this particular point in time. So the point is they have terrible corner. And this is a guy, presumably, that is going to fit the system a little better and maybe is going to be a competent corner in a group of really bad corners. So I'm not saying it's a bad pick, but I'm just saying in terms of what does this do to get them back to their 2018 um, level of play? It, it just doesn't. Then they got Travis Gibson, who I guess is going to be a pass rusher, which is great because they need a lot of help opposite Khalil Mack because they don't have another good pass rusher. They got another corner because, again, kind of an important position and their corners are terrible. So, again, I don't know if anybody believed me when I said it because everybody thinks Fuller is this elite lockdown corner who finally had his breakout and he's killing it. No, he's not. And the Bears apparently really don't like him, because since last year, Corner was one of the biggest, and this is when they had Amukamura and Fuller on the team, and they only had a handful of picks. They're still saying, we need Corner really bad. And they drafted a Corner last year. It was their second pick, I think, was a Corner. And then this year, of their first three picks, two of them are Corners. Or four picks, two of them are Corners. So, you know, this isn't a Bears podcast, but if it was, one of the things I'd be looking at is, I wonder how much longer Fuller is going to be around. In the fifth round, they got a wide receiver, which, I mean, come on. And then they don't have a pick until the seventh round, offensive line, offensive line. I doubt either of those guys are going to play. So again, if Khalil Mack's brother got picked up, you might as well go ahead and celebrate that. Because this isn't much different than what the Packers are dealing with. I mean, you can get excited about some corners. That that could be exciting. Although, again, if you look at it, there's two second-round picks and then a fifth-round pick. Travis Gibson isn't going to be anything. Kendall Vildor in the fifth round probably isn't going to be much of anything. Darnell Mooney is probably not going to be... So you're looking at two second-round picks to try to get excited about a tight end in a corner. Just just celebrate the Khalil Mack thing, man. Just just be jacked about his brother. Because I don't know what else you're going to do. And, and think about it from that context. Everybody's trash in the Green Bay Packers because they took Jordan Love. Jor- everybody is, has acknowledged that potentially... We're not going to get through much of this news, but we'll get there eventually, gentlemen. I know you guys did a lot of work. Keep those coming in. I'm just, you know, sometimes I get on some stuff. Think about this, though. Everybody has said that he has got elite upside, and, I, and there's no question. I've gone through it. If I, you've probably gone through it, looked at some of his highlights. His ability to make plays, his arm talent to be able to throw off-platform and everything else, all those kinds of things, to be able to make those Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes-type throws. Now, he has some bad decisions in there, whatever, but everybody's acknowledged that he has some serious upside. I think everybody else completely acknowledges the absolute best-case scenario for Jordan Love is to sit behind Aaron Rodgers. I don't think there's a single place on earth that would be better for Jordan Love than to to go to the Green Bay Packers. Which also means, by the way, when you look at Jordan Love's value, which is another thing nobody else acknowledges, Jordan Love just doesn't have static value. He has variable value, depending on which team. What is his value to, let's say, the, um, the Bengals with the first overall pick? And, and forget the first overall, but just to the Bengals in general. If you go to the Bengals, you play year one behind a terrible offensive line, meaning he's going to be under duress, which he had real problems with in college. He has no time to learn and nobody to learn from. The value to the Bengals in general is is a very low pick because he's not going to succeed with you. The value to a team like the Packers, which has the highest probability of turning him into his his biggest potential means that if, if you're an individual team and you assess value 
for a player based on situation, you're going to put the Green Bay Packers at the top of the list, meaning he is most valuable to the Green Bay Packers. Meaning it's not surprising if the Green Bay Packers had him the highest up on the board of anybody, because it makes sense. Even for like the Patriots, well, that would be a great situation. To learn from whom? I mean, if, if the Patriots draft him, he's probably starting right away because their quarterbacks are garbage right now. And even if they decide to let him sit because they think he's not ready, who's he going to learn from? There's no quarterbacks there. Everybody talks about, oh, the Patriots, they traded back. Apparently they didn't want him. Right, because he's not a guy that's going to plug and play and be ready to go year one. But really, we're talking about how we're, we're laughing at the Green Bay Packers for potentially getting the third in line to the Brett Favre-Aaron Rodgers saga. Right, This big 30-year span of Green Bay Packers' success predicated on elite quarterback play. The Packers potentially got the number three in line that everybody acknowledges has massive upside. And the Chicago Bears, who picked Cole Komet with their first pick, who last year picked a running back with their first pick, are laughing at us? Like, I'm, I'm going to sit here and, and listen to Bears and Lions fans laugh at our draft picks? Give me a break. The Lions have people desperately trying to leave because they hate their team. The Bears are are trying to fix the fact that they broke one of the best defenses in football. Because rather than finding a defensive coordinator who can actually use the pieces that are already in place, Vic Fangio built one of the greatest defenses in the last decade. Vic Fangio gets a new job, and instead of finding somebody that comes in with a the same kind of system, you find somebody else who broke this thing. So now you got to find new defensive pieces and replace one of the better DB group. You lost Adrian Amos. You let him walk. So now the Packers are benefiting from that. Your corners are no good anymore because they're they're based on a different scheme entirely. So now you have to replace your corners, which is why you've drafted three corners in the last two years, two of which are late picks, because you only have late picks. You're still trying to find edge rusher, despite the fact that the entire reason you haven't been able to do anything in terms of building your class is because you spent everything on an edge rusher, but you're still going out trying to find edge rushers. And the one guy you spent all your money on is a guy who had success for one year, and big shocker, he fell off after his big year. Of course, I'm talking about Eddie Jackson, who you know, was a good player in his rookie year, completely broke out in that ridiculous Vic Fangio defense in which everybody broke out, and then returned back to normal to being a good safety, but not anywhere near the best safety in all of football, who will never return to that. However, you paid him that way after one year of success. So yeah, I'm going to let you go ahead and laugh at us about our draft class. Give me a break. Make the playoffs, okay? Make the playoffs, and then you can start laughing about something. But anyways, the Bears signed Ladarius Mack. All right, moving on off of that, I got a question from Princess Thunderballs, everybody's favorite Patreon user. And to be honest, I've gotten this question from several people, and I've seen it crop up in a lot of different places. And the question is, what about Curtis Samuel from the Carolina Panthers? So I've got mixed feelings on it. One of the important things, and I don't think the Packers are wrong, and again, a lot of this stuff overlaps, and I kind of wanted to talk about this separately. But what Brian Gutekunst had said is something that we had talked about a long time ago even in free agency, which is if you're going to go get a wide receiver, make it a high-impact wide receiver because we've already got a bunch of mediocre guys. And Brian Gutekunst said as much. He said, listen, in the earlier rounds, we had a lot of really high-graded guys, but as you got into the later rounds, we don't need to bring in more Kumaros and Equinemiuses and MVSs, and I 100% agree with that, and that was his assessment. By the time we got to a certain point, it's like, we don't need more of these kinds of guys. We got enough. 
And so really my question with Curtis Samuel is, is he going to separate himself, or are we just adding more guys to this massive pile of number two slash number three wide receivers? Based on PFF grade, he's clearly just another guy. However, the one case you can make for him, and, and he, well, here's a couple of things. The nuance with his grade, rookie year wasn't very good. Second year kind of had a bit of a breakout year. And then third year completely fell off. However, Carolina was a joke. They didn't have a quarterback. They didn't have a team. They had nothing. They, they, it was... It was Christian McCaffrey basically dragging this team. So maybe you can kind of scrub that if you want to, but the point is then you have nothing to work off of other than his 400 total snaps in 2018 in which he did a good, not great job. Basically Devin Funches level good. Beyond that, though, he does bring a different dynamic. Now, he's not a slot receiver, but he's 5'11", 195 with 4'3", speed. So if the Packers were interested, and I don't think they are, because there's a lot of these guys, and they don't seem desperate to get it. In fact, they keep going out and getting the Devin Funches type. They like tall receivers, which, okay. But if they did want to get that and really believed in Curtis Samuel, I don't think it's impossible that they go that route, but I do think it's unlikely. I think they've already gotten Devin Funches. I don't think they want to expend more capital, whether that's draft capital and or monies, to go out and get another guy that's really just a guy. He's never really been a high-impact guy. He had six touchdowns last year. Uh, the year before that, when, you know, he was graded out really well, he only had five touchdowns. In his rookie year, he had zero. So in three years, he has 11 touchdowns. He has 1,200 yards in three years. Last year was his biggest year with 627 yards because he became more of a prominent target. But again, the problem is, as he became more prominent, he also became um, less good probably was thrust up against better corners and just didn't grade out very well. And again, I understand that he didn't have a very good quarterback, but grades aren't really based on your the quarterback's ability to throw you the ball. It's your ability to separate and catch passes that are thrown that are catchable, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm, not, I'm really not super high on it, and I'd be shocked if they did it. I don't think they're interested in 5'11", 195-pound uh, speedsters that are mediocre football players to thrust into the mix of, you know, mediocre football players because because i mean again we talked about it previously as the strategy going forward why add more guys that are just guys to the pile and brian gutekunst has come out of this draft saying essentially the exact same thing yeah why would we do that the reason we didn't get another wide receiver later is because what's the point now in undrafted free agency they've taken a couple swings but everybody's just a swing and to be honest something else to keep in mind this could be a very strong undrafted free agent class might as well pivot to that. So my answer on Curtis Samuel is no thank you. I think people really need to just let it go and recognize that the Packers are happy with the wide receiver group. Not that they're refusing to bring anybody in. Maybe they really like somebody. Maybe that somebody is Curtis Samuel. But it's because they genuinely believe this is a very good wide receiver. Um, and I just would doubt that that's the case with Curtis Samuel. But with the lack of ability of bringing guys in or even going to pro days to look at people, you've got situations in which certain guys... There's not a lot to go on. They've got tape to watch, and then there's combine testing. But as far as pro days, they, they just didn't trust any of these tapes that are coming in, which is, is you know, you could say, well, you, you never really trust pro day stuff. Yeah, but if you're there to actually time these 40s or whatever, if you're there to watch these things in person, you can evaluate whether or not you believe it. And so a lot of guys that are falling that are later round guys might end up being pretty quality players including some of these guys that completely fell into undrafted free agency because maybe just really poor testing and, and not a lot of to see on on film. But 
there's some questions about, you know, maybe the, the testing was off or whatever. So an undrafted free agency, you go out and grab a bunch. I, I just think there might be a little bit of a boom. Also, later round prospect for that reason, you know, based on what we can see, there's not much. But there's that possibility that maybe they're a little bit better than we thought. So we'll get out in front of that early, take them in the seventh round, whatever. I don't know. But uh, something to keep in mind, on top of the fact that, as I've already said, undrafted free agents um, have a lot of success, more so than seventh round, sixth round, whatever. So we're going to get a chance to meet some of these players because presumably at least one of them, two of them, are probably going to be playing in uh, some way or another. One of the guys that I want to bring up, and we'll look a little bit more again into some of these players, but I've gotten several notes and several comments about one in particular. But there is a six foot three, 195 pound safety, Mark Antoine Decoy, out of Canada, who ran a 4.3540 and a 6.653 cone at his workout on March 9th. So again, we'll dig a little bit more into that. But if you're looking for somebody to kind of dig into, maybe start there because a lot of people are already really excited about this guy. And again, a lot of these guys don't necessarily. Some of them do. Some of them fall because they're just not very good. But maybe there's like one attribute that's kind of worth at least digging into. But some of these guys, especially if you're looking at a guy from Canada, it's like, what do we have to go on? We haven't been able to meet him in person. We haven't flown up to Canada to, to go watch him. We're watching Canadian football, trying to assess how good of a safety he's. You know, it's it's complicated and hard to kind of decide those kinds of things. And and maybe that's a big hit. Athletic freak for sure. So, anyways, I figured I'd, I'd throw that one out there. You're probably going to be hearing his name a lot. I have a feeling, just again, based on how many people have already told me about him and uh, notes on him and everything else, um, that he's going to end up being a fan favorite at the very least. Um, continuing on with rapid fire, I had mentioned how um, we should be taking Josiah Deguara seriously because let's remember, first of all, the, the, the two best fullbacks in football right now are a third-round pick out of Cincinnati, not Josiah Deguara yet, but Travis Kelsey, and um, a fifth-round pick in George Kittle. Interestingly enough, though, that isn't the end of the Cincinnati um, lineage of tight end. One of the other really great tight ends for a very long time, Brent Selleck, was a fifth-round pick out of Cincinnati. And so again, I'm 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 not saying that you know just because everybody's a late round pick that was a good tight end means that every tight end because we can go through a massive list of tight ends in the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and undrafted free agency that are just straight up garbage. But the point is, I think I think we got to recognize that tight end isn't quarterback. It's not a situation where if you don't get him in the first or second round, you're just not going to get a good one. That's not true. There's there's no real reason to believe that Cole Komet is an infinitely better tight end than Josiah DeGuara. I mean, if we just look at 2013, and it was a pretty good uh, draft class. You got in the first round, Tyler Eifert went, very good tight end, just had injury issues. Zach Ertz went in the second round, good tight end. But then you look at second round, Gavin Escobar. Then you look at Vance McDonald, right? It wasn't until the third round that the Kansas City Chief picked up Travis Kelsey. So, I mean, you think about it, it's, it's, I doubt, I don't remember vividly the 2013 draft, but I would be willing to bet that nobody really expected Travis Kelsey to be anywhere near as good as he is. Right? When you got Vance McDonald and Gavin Escobar going before Travis Kelsey, there's got to be some pretty serious concerns about Travis Kelsey. It's not like he was a first-round pick that everybody thought was just going to be some kind of stud. You know, look at uh, George Kittle in 2017. In the first round, you had uh, O.J. Howard and Evan Ingram and David Njoku. Those three guys went in the first round. You had Gerald Everett and Adam Shaheen go in the second round. You had Janu Smith go to the Tennessee Titans in the third round. 
Michael Roberts out of Toledo went to the uh, the um, Detroit Lions in the fourth round. And then one pick, one pick before George Kittle, Jake Butt went to the Denver Broncos in the fifth round. And then George Kittle went from Iowa to the San Francisco 49ers, followed immediately by Jordan Leggett and Jeremy Sprinkle. So, I mean, the point is, at that time, if you look at it, how many people, honestly, do you believe are looking at this saying, dude, George Kittle is the greatest tight end in this draft class? Nobody, including the San Francisco 49ers. Because if the 49ers knew, they wouldn't have waited so long. If anybody knew Kittle would be Kittle, they would have taken him in the first round, zero questions asked. The point is, you don't know until they get in there. And the draft grades are all nice, and they're all cute and all that stuff. And I'm sure the 49ers got laughed at when they took Kittle. I mean, decent grade and whatnot, but if we look at bottom line here uh, at NFL.com, they compared him to Charles Clay, which is cute. Says H-back type who lacks the desired size for inline blocking, but certainly has technique and willingness to do it. Good hands, flashes, and ability to challenge as a pass catcher at all three levels. Kittle has the athleticism and blocking ability to become an effective move tight end if paired in the right system. None of that's really wrong, but they don't sound excited about about George Kittle being George Kittle. Interestingly enough, if we look at um, Josiah DeGuara, hard-nosed move tight end who will garner consideration as an NFL H-back. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And I'm not trying to compare him to Kittle. I'm just saying, kind of fits the system a little bit. It makes sense why they're looking at this guy. He's got similar comps in terms of play style to a George Kittle, which makes sense because we're looking for a guy that's going to try to fit into a similar system, right? George Kittle, he's a move tight end um, who is an H-back type. Hard-nosed move tight end who will garner consideration as an H-back is what they said about DeGuara. Same kind of guy. As a patch catcher, DeGuara is sure-handed with a good feel for soft spots against zone. May need an accurate thrower due to contested catch likelihood and uh, suspect catch radius. Day three prospect who flies under the radar but ends up becoming a solid contributor at H-back. Again, similar in the fact that they're saying you got to put him in the right system, which guess what? He's in the right system. Guess what? He has an accurate quarterback. And the only reason I'm hammering this is because, again, people tend to look at this and go, oh, Josiah DeGuara is a waste of a pick. Nobody really liked him even in the third round coming out of Cincinnati. It just sounds underwhelming. Like he should have been like a fifth round pick out of Cincinnati. Well, that's what Brent Selleck was. Also, there, there's a lot of talk about DeGuara just being a fullback. That's I don't think that's true. And I know, well, that's what Gutekunst said. Yeah. DeGuara is an H-back, which is a hybrid tight end slash fullback. He's going to be playing fullback. He's going to be playing tight end. He's going to be in all those positions. Whereas Sternberger is going to be... So essentially, although nobody really expects DeGuara to be as good of a blocker as a Mercedes Lewis, that's sort of what they got, right? They went out and got um, Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis, and they've replaced them with Sternberger and Josiah DeGuara. They have already talked about how, and I, I asked this question earlier on, you know, we had a tight end in Jimmy Graham that played a, a large percentage, nearly 50% of his snaps were in the slot or, or split out wide. Not one of the other tight ends that we have remaining have spent any time outside, and it has recently been confirmed that Jake uh, Sternberger, Jace Sternberger, was asked by his coaches um, to prepare to be outside a lot more to be split out a lot more because he's going to take that Jimmy Graham role as a receiving tight end. That doesn't mean he's not going to be moved around in all different kinds of situations, but that's primarily what he's going to be. Josiah DeGuara is going to be more in line, sometimes as a fullback, sometimes as an H-back, which again is kind of halfway between. He's not on the line like a tight end. He's not going to be all the way back off like a fullback. He's going to be kind of split out and back 
But, you know, again, trying to put these rigid labels, that's the first comment on this tweet in which that says, you know, tight end university, Brent Selleck, Travis Kelsey, Josiah DeGuara. The top comment is, DeGuara's a fullback. Well, yeah, he's an H-back. He's, he's a tight end. Again, they'll use him there, but everybody gets moved around all over the place. You're going to see Josiah DeGuara split out on occasion. You're going to see that 100%. There's zero question in my mind. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm legitimately excited. Not, not just about him, but the whole, it's the whole picture that's exciting. I think one of the benefits of the San Francisco 49ers, for example, is, is not just the elite play of certain players. It's the fit. I don't know that George Kittle is as, I mean, he's a great tight end no matter what, but I don't know if he's as good in a different system. And it's the fact that they've got all these pieces and everything just kind of blends together nicely. It's kind of like what Vic Fangio did with the Bears defense, and that's a real thing. The ability for everything to just kind of click and come together, and all of a sudden it's like, what is this? I mean, it's a great illustration, really, because you look at the very next year and the Bears defense fell off. Why? It's because it's the system with all the players coming together and everything just suddenly clicks. But then you just leave all those pieces for the most part. You bring in a new defensive coordinator who asks them to do something differently. Suddenly these elite players, some of them are really just kind of bad. And that's what the Packers need on offense. They need that click. And and I had this talk with somebody on, I think, Twitter yesterday. The idea that the fact of the matter is the Packers did overachieve at 13 wins. And, and although we got to 13 wins, it was ugly. All the way through, it was just ugly. 90% of the time when you're watching, it's like, this is just terrible. I would expect maybe a little bit more of a clean 10 wins this year. I mean, maybe it's 9, maybe it's 12. I don't know. But, but the idea is I'd like it to look a little bit more clean and a little bit more competent. And I think that's where the Packers are headed. And, and what, they've, what they're getting are versatile pieces, but also the pieces that they need to run this system. And again, Aaron Rodgers is just a piece in the system. It's not him taking over and having to drag this team anymore. It's Aaron Rodgers being a critical piece of a system that employs a lot of different pieces in a lot of different areas. Aaron Jones with his skill set, A.J. Dillon with his skill set, the fact that we can put Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the field at the same time. We can have Josiah DeGuara on the field at the same time with Dillon and or um, Aaron Jones. You know, 22 personnel, which is two running backs and two tight ends. And what does that mean for an offense or for a defense? The point is all these guys can do anything. I mean, you could have Sternberger and DeGuara blocking and A.J. Dillon blocking and just run the ball with Aaron Jones. And again, everything is, is off of everything else. So you, you start doing that. You start having success with that. And then you've got a bunch of guys that can all run out and do. You can have A.J. Dillon stay back and block while Aaron Jones kind of slips out and runs a route while you got your two tight ends curl. It's just there's all these different facets. There's all these different things that you can do with these pieces. And that's what this Packers team needs is it, it really needs that identity to click. Because last year, although there was success... It just, it was all clunky, right? It's, it's like driving your car down the road and you just keep hearing this clunk, clunk, clunk. And it's like, man, something is just breaking right now. This is bad. I don't know what that is, but I'm just waiting for any moment for this thing to seize or for a tire to just go flying down the road or something. is. This is not good, right? We've got great pieces. Aaron Jones, I mean, everything, everything about last year's offense was about elite players making a machine that doesn't really work look really good. This wasn't what Matt LaFleur envisioned in a competent offense. And I don't mean to keep ragging on him. It just, it didn't look clean and it, 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 it clunked. But Aaron Jones is so good. And the offensive line at times was so good. And Aaron Rodgers is so good. And Devontae's so good that even when the thing is broken, they can still beat people on top of the defense. And even the defense was a little bit clunky at times, but, it, but the defense was so good that it, it came together enough 
And and again, that that great locker room chemistry where these guys they believe in it, they believe in each other, and they fought until the very end, which is great to see, especially the defense, which we're not used to. Seeing the defense come through in the third and fourth quarter to be able to close out games and to win games at times, it was just enough. But I think that needs to be the goal for this year, to to make it smooth out, to not be such a volatile team that's winning. You know, I mean, you're, you're able to annihilate the Vikings, and then, the, and then you go up against the Giants, who are terrible, and barely win. Or you go up against the Lions, and the Lions are just basically steamrolling you, and you're, you're barely squeaking out a win against the Lions. And, and you look at the 49ers, and you think, well, our record was basically the same, but nobody's going to look at these two teams and say that they're the same. The Packers, I think, have better talent, especially at quarterback, at wide receiver, in, in those critical areas. But you look at the way that that offense just works and how it just comes together, and it's just it's like a work of art. How everything just looks easy, and, and defenses just cannot figure out what to do, and Shanahan's just got this thing dialed in. And it's just one of those things where it's it's like, Rock, paper, scissors, but I know what you're going to throw. Right? You have to declare first. So the defense comes out this way, and it's like, all right, you're showing you know, rock, so all right, call in paper. And it just, you, you can't stop it. You zig, we zag. And the Packers now have the pieces to be able to do, and that's, that's the important thing. With A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara, we've got the tight ends, we've got the, the running backs, those, those extra things where he's got this whole playbook he wants to do, but it's like he's got to rip out half of the book here because we don't have this. You know, this this offense that is predicated on tight ends was trying to get Mercedes Lewis and Jimmy Graham to work, and that just wasn't working. And Jace, who's extremely raw and was hurt for most of the year, obviously wasn't able to help. But I, I think we underestimate how much A.J. Dillon and Josiah DeGuara are critical components to making this thing work. To have a workhorse running back that can, not saying this is going to happen year one, but has the ability to run the ball 20 times a game like a Derrick Henry, for example, to just smash the ball down a team's throat. He can do it 20 times. Aaron Jones can do it another 12 times. Jamal can come in, whatever, to have that ability. And by the way, he's not just a guy that, you know, yeah, he can run the ball 20 times, but it's only going to be two-yard gain. This guy gets a full head of steam, especially with a better system, a much better blocking offensive line. I mean, he's one of those guys that'll just chip away at you and just will just destroy your will to be. He will wear down a defense like nothing else. These linebackers are just going to be crying when they're screaming down the field and they're the the last line of defense and they got to tackle this guy. By the third quarter, they're just begging the safety to come up and beat him there. Please. And these poor linebackers, not only do they have to try to tackle these running backs, but they have to try to understand what's going to happen next. And you look at a Jordan Love, for example, and the kind of offense that they run, I think that's where we're headed where every play looks like a, run, a, a handoff. And we're going to start that way. It's, it's going to be, okay, here's the ball, nope. And maybe 40% of the time they actually give off the ball. And then 60% of the time he's going to keep it. But sometimes he might still throw it to the running back. So do we key in on the running back? Do we back off when he doesn't give the ball? You know, it's just, it's all these little things. And that's how a lot of these teams are winning. Now, I, I understand the, compl- well, look at the 49ers. Yeah, they're so good they lost in the Super Bowl. Oh, come on, man. Look, if, if you don't like this Shanahan offense, if you think that that's a problem, then just jump off the bandwagon because we're, we're this is what we're running. It's not a question of if we should be running it. We're going to be running it. It's a matter of making it work. And if we're going to make it work, it's going to be with Josiah DeGuara. You have to have that component, and now we have it. And it, it's it's even kind of less about his upside and potential. You know, he doesn't run a 4-4 and all this other stuff, but it's about... If my offense is going to work, I need a guy that can do A, B, and C, and he can do A, B, and C. And again, he's been at Cincinnati for five years. He has been 
just this has been run through his head a thousand times how to be an H-back how to block and do this and this and this I mean it's not even a question when Josiah DeGuara is there in the third round and he is the critical component and I'm, I'm talking about you look at the available tight ends and you ask how many people can can come in in 2020 and be the H-back guy that we need I don't know if there's anybody left on their board that can do it and if you don't take him in the third round and he's gone I don't know what we can do with this offense other than go and 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 listen, there's other tight ends who we assume are much better than Deguara that we can take because they're small, skinny, really fast guys, and that's what everybody wants because we want receiving weapons that we thought were really good football players. But it's not about that. That's what Jace's role is. We need the H back guy. We need you know slash fullback slash tight end whatever. That guy's missing from the offense. I promise you, Matt Lafleur was on the brink of tears when we got Josiah Deguara in the third round doing backflips. This isn't about your dumb board. This isn't about Matt Miller's stupid board. This is about Matt LaFleur's offense. This is about Matt LaFleur's playbook. This is about making it work. This is about having a competent football team so that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to just make magic happen all the time. It's about how do we actually run the system that Matt LaFleur was hired to come in and run. The answer is Josiah DeGuara. Not that he's the, the necessarily the centerpiece, but to make this thing work, you got to have that component. And right now, I think Mercedes Lewis is the guy that's going to do it, and you don't want Mercedes Lewis doing it. Mercedes Lewis is, is, a, is an inline blocker. I'm not saying he's useless. We paid him to, to stay on board, and probably, to be honest, we kept him in the, in the off chance that we don't get a Josiah DeGuara or a guy similar to him. I don't know how many guys are on their list that fit that role, but I have to assume Josiah was near the top. I'm not saying he's the best tight end in this class, but I'm saying if, you were to, if, if I were to give you the criteria and say, this is what we need, and we also want a guy that can plug and play. I don't know how many guys could possibly be better than Josiah DeGuara. Find me a better H-back that has a lot of experience running that kind of a system. There might be a couple, but I believe we kept Mercedes Lewis because we were afraid that we may not have that guy. And as much as Mercedes does not really fit that role, we got to have somebody that's going to be able to fill in and try that. Now we got the guy. So if, if we want to call A.J. Dillon a reach, if we want to call Josiah DeGuara a reach, maybe it is. But that, that that bit of a reach, which it may not even be, it might not even be a reach based on their board, but if it is, it should signal the critical importance to the Green Bay Packers and to Matt LaFleur and his ability to run his offense. To have an A.J. Dillon-type football player to run his style of offense, to have a Josiah DeGuara, and, and again, tight end is one of the most important things in this style of offense. When, when Matt LaFleur took over for the Tennessee Titans, we heard how Part of the reason that team fell apart is because he developed his entire offense around a tight end that was hurt in week one. The entire offense was built around Delaney Walker, and he got hurt in week one. And then, you know, he put the onus on other tight ends who, as we looked through several times back in the day when we first hired him, how much you had all these tight ends who had critical success. These guys who were never any good all of a sudden were, were grading out by PFF very highly. Because that's his whole thing. He, he, he's going to build this offense around tight ends. Because, it's, it's again, it's critical to the importance of this team, and now he has those pieces, which he just didn't have last year. Jimmy Graham and Mercedes Lewis is the, is the Packers trying to do their best to recreate sort of a, you know, the 49ers Kittle and use check. I think that's how you say his name. But that's not it, man. These are old-school tight ends who, first of all, are declining. And second of all, that's not exactly what the modern-day Kittle and Juszczyk look like. Sternberger and DeGuara are what he's looking for, and he got it. 
And again, as much as I'm sure they love Aaron Jones and what his his ability to do certain things, he wants a guy like A.J. Dillon, and now he has it. He wants a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers because that's what he has. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to worry about Jordan Love at this time. But if, you know, regardless of what happens, Jordan Love is the type of quarterback they're looking for. Which, by the way, Jordan Love, the reason, part of the reason it's going to be so beneficial for him to sit behind Aaron Rodgers is because they're similar quarterback. Aaron Rodgers can absolutely run this system. That's not a question. And I don't want anybody to think that my, what I was trying to say is that the, the Packers want him gone. I, I believe them when they say that they hope that Aaron Rodgers is so good that we're not going to end up trading him. But at the very least, they believe that in case things don't exactly work out, and even if they do, uh, you know, after a couple years, there's a chance that he may be gone anyways, and you have a GM and and some people who are looking at the book saying, hey, if we could move on from him, that would be kind of beneficial. So at the very least, this puts him in a situation where if they decide to move on, he can still run his system. And we got some offensive linemen that kind of fit, not necessarily because we have guys that don't work. I, I think the guys that we have work, although, you know, maybe it's not exactly ideal. But we also have to consider the fact that we've got guys that are coming up on contracts that maybe aren't going to last much beyond this year. So we got to start looking at that. And granted, maybe next year we're going to hit offensive line hard. But hey, if we can if we can fill a couple of voids now by hitting three guys in the sixth round, that'll lessen our need next year because this is going to become a pretty big need for the Packers. I had asked the uh, the question was asked. I'm going to be very, I'm going to have to put in time at work today because I'm going to be I'm going to be late. Last thing and then we're done. The question was asked to me, what do we do with Lane Taylor? My answer was very simple. We either get rid of him now or after the season. He's got one year left on his contract. I think, what are we paying him? Let me check. His cap hit for this year is $5.5 million. So at the very least, one of these guys needs to step up and be a Lane Taylor replacement because a backup guard who is 30 years old, who is going to be 31 next year, does not get contracts from the Green Bay Packers. That doesn't happen. And so it wouldn't be impossible for a lot of people are talking about maybe this could be a trade for a Curtis Samuel. I, I don't know. I mean, they, they could be looking at it as, as a trade piece. That's something else to consider is, is they are now going back to the drawing board and reassessing what they were able to get out of the draft and what they missed on and trying to see where they can go from here, possibly adding other pieces, possibly trading guys. And when you look at the fact that we got three offensive linemen, whether or not we know they're going to be very good, which is usually you'd like to be able to wait and see. This could be a situation where, look, we got three guys. We may need to move on from Lane because we're moving on anyway. So even if these guys don't hit, oh well. Some one of them is going to have to step up and be, and be a, a backup because regardless of what happens, we're not getting we're not keeping Lane Taylor. So if you can move him now, it kind of makes sense. We have the bodies, so he may be if he can be moved, which wouldn't be surprising. I mean, Lane Taylor is a guy that can come in on a lot of football teams and be a starting guard. Now, what do you get out of compensation? I would guess not much. I don't think we get a 23-year-old wide receiver. I don't think that's going to happen. We would have to package more than that to get a Curtis Samuel, which, again, I don't even think we want him. I think, if anything, we gear up for the 2021 draft and get a, I don't know, a sixth-round pick out of him or something. The biggest benefit, really, is just dumping the uh, the money. Dead cap would be $1.3 million, close to one point four, whatever. So it would be a $4 million savings to move on from Lane Taylor, get a little extra compensation. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised at all if we decided to move on from him. If we keep him, it's just more insurance because we know we can trust him as an offensive lineman. I mean, that's that's the ideal thing. You want as much talent as possible. But I think the responsible thing to do is to recognize that we're going to be moving on, and you may as well try to recoup value now 
as opposed to later, especially again, since we've just gone out and got three offensive linemen, all of which are going to be interior offensive linemen. So anyways, again, lots, 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 lots to go through. Thank you very much again to everybody who went out and found some stuff. Please keep it coming. I'm going to keep adding because, you know, eventually we're going to be running out of things to uh, talk about as the off season continues, but, um, I got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.